Thank you. Good evening. Hello to those of you who I've met before, which is many of you. It's lovely to see many familiar faces. And um, I'll say a little bit, just a little bit more about myself in a minute for those of you who are either new here or, you know, you haven't uh, met me before. But I agree with Ruth. I think, I think there are times when actually we're just meant to push into a moment where the Lord's doing something. And uh, I don't know the, the name of, what's your name? Jill. Jill had that sense that there were people here this evening. I can't remember how you exactly described it, but it was the sense that I came with that um, we'd been singing there's power in the name of Jesus and uh, that there's power to set captives free. And, and she said that she had a sense that God wanted to do that this evening. I came with the same sense. So before we move on, I, I'm just going to ask you to trust me for a moment and I'm going to invite you to stand and I just want us to pray for any of those here who have come here this evening and you have a real sense that you are wrestling. You, you have a sense of being a captive. The, the, one of the words I came with was depression. It may be other things, but you may not be able to put words in it, but that sense of being oppressed or being captive just resonates with something in your spirit. And I just want to sort of, you know, go with this moment that I believe, you know, you know, the Lord is here and, and not miss the moment as it were. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask any of you that for, for whom that word captive in any way or oppression resonates to be brave and just put up a hand so that thank you. Now, if, if your hand is up, keep it up, keep it up. And if your hand isn't up, can you look around and gather around somebody whose hand is up? Because there's no magic way of dealing with this. It's just a prayer of faith that God is here, that his spirit is present and he wants to do something. So keep your hands up. And for those around them, we're going to pray for our sisters now in faith that God wants to set the captives free. Okay, I'm just going to read you uh, what it says, what Jesus says in Luke 4. Jesus says, he sent me, the Father sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and to release the oppressed. So just for two minutes, I want you to be brave and pray your best prayer that the Father would release, that Jesus would release this sister from whatever oppression. You don't need to know what it is. Just ask him in faith that, that Jesus would come and release her from the oppression that she is under this evening. Okay? So for two minutes, let's just pray our best prayers. Okay, Father, we thank you for your presence here. You pray too. <laughs> we thank you for your presence here. We thank you that you came to release the captives, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And in the name of Jesus, we cancel the assignments against the, our sisters here this evening. We cancel them in the name of Jesus and we speak freedom over them. We speak release for these captives. We speak freedom for these prisoners. We bless them to walk into freedom. We come against the oppression that is against them, any weapons that have been forged against them. We thank you that they will not prevail. And we pray this evening for a new work of freedom to begin over them and in them. That darkness would retreat, that light would penetrate the deepest places in their minds and in their hearts. Do something fresh and new for them beginning this evening, Jesus, we pray. There is power in your name. We thank you that there is power in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay, if the Lord's blessing you and you're, you know, you're receiving, just keep going. 
You know, the Spirit is here, but I think sometimes we just need to, to seize moments. So if you're, you know, if the Lord's on you, just keep receiving. Uh, stay connected to him. So um, as Ruth said, my name is Hills. Um, I'm on the staff and the leadership team of Trinity Cheltenham. Uh, my husband, Tim, is uh, uh, a vicar there with Mark Bailey, and uh, Mark heads up New Wine. So we're very involved as a church uh, in the New Wine movement. I have four children, for those of you that like to know details like that. Some of them are still hanging around at home. <laughs> I'm trying to get rid of them slowly. <laughs> And uh, I'm married to a man who thinks he's James Bond, especially when he's asleep at night. And um, that's what he dreams about. I love Jesus, I love chocolate, and I love being with women. And uh, I've been here a number of times. This is the first time that I've actually driven straight here and arrived on time. So... The last time I was here, I had Anne on absolute tenterhooks because I arrived sort of either with one minute to go or one minute after the start time. And uh, she's such an organized woman. She's so patient. Uh, So she was very relieved to see me this evening. And uh, I do love coming here because it feels like, you know, family. It feels like coming to visit family. And I'm coming back next November, apparently, depending on how tonight goes. So we'll see. (laughs) But... uh, Anne, has a, Anne is in a better scenario tonight than the lady who um, had organised a big uh, meeting for women in London last week. Uh, I was due to go to London on uh, Monday evening and uh, left in good time, really good time. And um, it's a sort of probably a, nearly a three-hour journey from Cheltenham. And I had one of those nightmare moments on the M25 where... Uh, all of a sudden, I was in the outside lane at quarter past five, very heavy traffic, four lanes. Uh, our gearbox went. So I sort of, you know, mercifully, under the grace of God, coasted to the side of the hard shoulder before the car ran out of momentum, and then spent the next two hours praying in contact on my phone with the breakdown people, the woman who's, you know, sort of termly gathering I was going to speak at and it was one of those funny old scenarios where you know there was a problem we prayed my team in Cheltenham were praying the the team that I was going to sort of you know were organizing the meeting were praying and there'd be an answer to prayer and you know I suddenly managed to find some kind of transport organized for me and then there'd be another problem uh, and the breakdown man who sort of said he was going to arrive and didn't and the whole job got cancelled you know then there was another one and it was one of those scenarios where we prayed a prayer and there was an answer to prayer and then there was another problem and then there was another prayer and then there was another answer to prayer and then there was another problem And eventually, two and a half hours later, having had all these little answers to prayer along the way, um, the car that had been loaned to me to get there, the battery was flat. And I never made it. First time uh, in my life that I've never actually made it somewhere where I was intended to be. And I I kind of ended up going to stay um, at my parents' house that night with my father. And um, I lay in bed pondering the events of that day. You know, Lord, what was the point of all of that? Have you ever thought that? (laughs) Lord, what was going on? I know you were with me, but what was going on? This all seems so pointless. You know, I was left sort of near London on the M25. My car had got home before me on the breakdown truck. And the following morning, I had to make my way back to Cheltenham by going into London, across London, and, you know, coming. And Lord, what was the point of that? 
Was there a purpose in it? And I'm not one of those people that finds it very easy to draw a glib conclusion, you know, just to make myself feel better. Oh, well, God was obviously using it for this or for that. And in the end, my husband said to me, and I thought to myself, yeah, this is the thing that I can buy into best. He said, honey, sometimes we lose some battles. We haven't lost the big battle. Jesus has won the ultimate battle. But sometimes we lose some battles. And it set me, well, it didn't set me thinking. It kind of played into something that has, God has really been stirring in my heart. And um, I've been wrestling with it because I know that the title for this evening is um, Living in the Spirit. And, and what I want to talk about is very much to do with the life of the Spirit. But I feel like God has been sort of nudging me to slightly change what I was going to talk about. And I've sort of been trying to shake it off. But then on Friday, when... You know, the horrific stuff hit the news from whatever was going on in Paris. And I know we will all have had a sort of a multiplicity of reactions to what was going on. Actually, I felt that I just needed to kind of come and share what I felt God has put on my heart for us this evening. And so I hope that's okay because it's not quite, it's not far off, but it's not quite sort of along the lines of that title, Living in the Spirit, although it is about the life of the spirit and I believe that God wants me to speak into the reality that is battle we are living in a bat on a battlefield as Christian people we are living on a battlefield and I think it's something we forget the enemy tries to make us forget you know all too quickly and then we have kind of news of something like what happened on Friday night and it shocks us and of course in one sense it absolutely should shock us it's utterly shocking utterly devastating but now everybody's trying to make sense of what has happened and why it happened and there are all those questions and I was watching some of it on the news this afternoon and as Christians we're the people in one sense who should be least shocked Because the Bible gives a narrative for what is going on in our world, what is going on in our own lives, what is going on in Paris, what is going on in Beirut, what is going on in Burundi, what is going on around the world. You know, the Bible gives us a narrative for that, that we are living on a battlefield. You know, Paul's charge to the Ephesians, wasn't it, was be strong in the Lord and put on the armor of God. Well, who wears armor? Not ballet dancers, not people on a cruise ship sitting on their sun loungers having a good time. Who wears armor? Soldiers, people on a battlefield, people who are involved in a fight and in a struggle. And I believe that God wants me this evening to remind us as he is reminding me of this truth about the Christian life. It's actually the truth about life. But as Christians, we've got the inside track on it because Jesus has given us revelation about, you know, what we see being less real than what is unseen. And we've been equipped and we've been given weapons to play our part, you know, to live lives effectively and powerfully for the Lord. But because we tend to live in a peacetime world with a peacetime mentality, I think a lot of us, and I include myself in this, kind of forget this thing that actually... We're living on a spiritual battlefield and we've been given weapons to use to, to live the lives, you know, and walk into the destinies that we've been called into. 
And, uh, I, you know, I don't want to focus on the enemy or his strategies particularly. You know, we don't need to glorify him or any of that. But we do need to be alert to this reality and remember that God has given us some weapons to use. And so I want to just talk a little bit this evening about the weapon that we have been given, our most powerful weapon, which is the weapon of prayer. I mean, actually, the life of the Spirit, you know, the most fundamental spiritual tool that we have, the thing that defines us more than anything else as spiritual people is prayer. Because prayer is an utterly spiritual activity. You know, it's the most spiritual activity that I know really because it is a purely spiritual activity, as it were. You know, I can sit in my room at home or whatever, praying, and I get up and I sort of go about my day. And in one sense, I've got nothing to show for what I've been doing, except that when God moves, there's something to see, something to show. And it's so easy to think, oh, I haven't got time to pray. You know, I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to do the other. And yet the most effective thing we can do, the most powerful thing, the most life-changing thing for ourselves and for those we love, for those around us, for our community and for our nation, the most effective thing we can do is pray. And yet how many of us struggle to pray? I know I do. And I'm willing to bet that most of us in this room struggle to pray, if we're being really honest. I can see lots of heads nodding. Do you know why we struggle to pray? Because the enemy knows how effective prayer is. The enemy knows how effective your prayers are. And so the most effective way he can disable you as a Christian is to stop you from praying. And he'll try a million different ways of doing it. It doesn't really matter which way he chooses or what method he uses. If you and I don't pray... We, aren't, we don't live powerful lives. We don't see God do the things that he wants to do. And so I believe this evening that God wants me to encourage me and you about this incredible weapon that we have that I think we, we massively underuse in the church because it's so tempting in our Western world to lose sight of the fact that fundamentally a lot of the stuff that's going around us, a lot of the stuff that that you're facing, a lot of the stuff that you long to see change in the lives of your loved ones, a lot of the stuff that you long to see happen in your workplaces, uh, a lot of the stuff that you long to see happen in your streets or, you know, wherever, at the school gate... The place where it's going to begin, the place where the breakthrough is going to happen is where you are on your knees. I mean, not literally, but where you are praying. And we have this weapon, and I believe God wants to encourage us this evening, all of us, to use it as effectively or more effectively as we can. And I think, you know, just really important to remember that we, we have this enemy who, who, who has a personal strategy to demoralize and discourage and defeat you. I don't, you know, if you share your stuff, your, your, your struggles or your insecurities or what you're wrestling with with your friends, you'll probably notice that what discourages you is completely different to what discourages your mate. Or what gets you down is very different to what gets somebody else down. What you feel insecure about 
or, or fearful about is very different to what the girl next to you feels insecure or fearful about. Well, guess what? He knows how to discourage you. He knows how to demoralize me. You know, let's remember that we do have an enemy who has a strategy against God's people. You know, both individually and as a church and as a nation and in the world. He always has had. And, you know, Paul says in this passage in Ephesians that we're to to stand against his schemes, his strategies. And uh, I don't know about you, but I think it's so easy to, to throw everything else against the stuff that comes against us. You know, we throw our words at the situations or the people that, you know, have a go at us or wind us up or get us down or whatever, don't we? Or we throw our emotions at them, somehow thinking in the moment that that's going to change everything. <laughs> you know, when I lose my temper or say horrible things or, you know, go into a mood or whatever, we throw our emotions at these situations. Or we kind of come up with a new formula or a new strategy. Well, if I just do this, if I was just more like this, or if I just, you know, try and become this, or if I try and handle this differently. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Well, maybe they're sort of throwing the wrong kind of words and emotions at people is. But I don't know about you, but so often the last thing we do is go to our prayer room and start praying, really praying about the scenario that we're struggling with, the scenario that we want to to see changed. So slow to hurl prayer at it. But the disciples looked at Jesus, didn't they? They looked at his life and how effective it was. They watched him changing situations, resisting the most incredible forces that came against him to sort of shut him down or to make him ineffective. They watched this powerful life at work. And what did they say to him? Teach us to pray. They saw the connection between him going off to be with the Father and praying and then him making a difference in the lives of the people that he touched. Him bringing breakthrough wherever he was at work. If you want to get closer to Jesus, you've got to pray. If you want to see your children saved, you've got to pray. If you want to see your relationships healed, you've got to pray for them. If you want to see your grandchildren grow up to know and love and pursue Jesus, you've got to pray. If you want to see your friends discover the light and the life of the one who can save them and introduce them to the Father, you've got to pray. If you want to see blessing on your family life, you've got to pray. If you want to see God move in your workplace, you've got to pray. If if you you want to walk into the destiny, the fullness of the destiny that God has for you, you've got to pray. If you want to know God better, you've got to pray. You know, there's all kinds of other things we can do. But fundamentally, prayer is how God has decided to release his kingdom on earth. You know, and, and I believe he wants to encourage us this evening about the power in this weapon that we have.
And, uh, you know, God says that, that we get what we ask for. Now, I know we could all share a hundred stories probably between us of prayers that haven't been answered. But the principle that Jesus, you know, makes perfectly clear is that it's to those who ask that stuff is given. And the enemy wants to kind of push us into this little corner thinking, mm, you're not quite a good enough Christian for God to do this for you. Or, you know, look at your past. Look what you've done. Look what hasn't happened. God's not going to do this for you. You know, and he'll use any strategy he can to try and persuade us that God isn't going to do it for me. So we don't pray. Or, you know, we pray less. Jesus says there's one criteria for God to do something for you. And it's really simple. Ask. To those who ask, they will receive. We might need to keep asking for a while, but there's one criteria, and it's not holiness. It's asking. Hands up if you can ask. Yeah. He's made it available for everybody because that's his grace. It's not based on our need. It's based on who asks. It's that simple. And uh, it's the primary doorway, asking. It's incredibly childlike. It's offensively simple. It's the primary doorway through which God has decided to release his power and his kingdom on earth. So what I want to do just um, briefly is to talk about just a few practicalities of how we can pray powerfully, passionately, you know, persistently. Because I think it's one thing to know that we should pray. I'm somebody who goes, yeah, but how? You know, I sit there and I think, I don't really know how to pray, really. You know, in one sense, there's no right way to pray, but some tips can be helpful, can't they? And I'm somebody who needs tips. And uh, I've had some great tips in recent years that have revolutionized, you know, the way I pray. And so I just want to share one or two of them with you this evening in the hope that some of you will find them helpful. And, uh, you know, it will help you to pray um, purposefully. Because we can pray about any old random thing. But the enemy has strategy. God has strategy, and the more strategically and specifically and purposefully we pray, firstly, it's easier to see when God answers our prayer, because we're praying about something specific, but secondly, it's incredibly effective, because we know what we're asking for. So, you know, I want to encourage you to be able to actually think specifically about the situations in your life and how you pray, and whether we can kind of hone it down a bit to be a little bit more specific. But just one little thing, really important to acknowledge what attitude or perspective that you come to prayer with. There will be some of us here that carry a huge amount of disappointment because we have prayed or tried to contend for things in the past and we haven't seen God come through. And on the back of that, the enemy has whispered some lies to us about the fact that, well, God doesn't really answer your prayers. He doesn't really hear you. He's not interested in what you say, or you weren't praying properly. And it's undermined your confidence in God's desire and willingness to answer your prayer. If that's you, be honest about it. We don't pretend when we're with God. We come as we are. He can handle the fact that you're disappointed as long as you will own it. Okay, and for some of us, you know, that disappointment has fed into unbelief. 
And we don't actually believe that God's going to do anything. Again, if that's you, own it. Ask, you know, own it before him. And then if you do, he'll begin to change it for you. That was me. Three or four years ago, kept reading this promise in the Bible, you know, in, in, in John. You know, ask anything and it will be done for you. And I'd sit there and I'd say, Lord, this is what your word says, but this is not my experience. And then I'd reel off this catalogue of prayers that I'd been praying. And I, you know, I'm praying about this. I'm asking for this. I'm asking for this. And none of these prayers, you haven't answered any of them. I don't get it. Your word says this. This is my experience. You know, and finally I said to him, you know, what's wrong? <laughs> you know, what's, what, what's the gap here? And I woke up the following morning and the word that was going around in my mind as I woke up. If you ever paid attention to your waking thoughts, they're very revealing. Sometimes it's the Lord speaking to you. Sometimes it's your subconscious speaking to you. But pay attention to your waking thoughts. The word that was going around in my mind as I woke up was unbelief. I woke up with that word, unbelief. And I knew that God was saying to me, Hills, you just don't trust that I'm going to answer your prayers. Now, that wasn't a word of condemnation. That was a word of diagnosis. There is a big difference. God doesn't write us off just because we have weaknesses. He puts his finger on them so we can go, okay, do something with it then. And the point of him saying to me, unbelief hills, was so that I could say to him, Lord, I confess my unbelief. Do something about it because I want to believe. You know, just like that man in the Bible. And so he began a journey, you know, in my Bible readings of just speaking to me about, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. That's my heart. I want to bless you. And over the following three or four months, he did something, you know, in my daily times with him that restored my confidence that actually he really did want to answer my prayers and bless me. And that was a radical turning point in my prayer life, being able to identify at least the heart that I brought to my prayer time with him. So just a little word there, you know, be really honest with yourself and with God about what you're coming to that place with him about. Name it, own it, you know, acknowledge it, ask his forgiveness and ask him to change it. But make a decision that you're going to press into prayer and use this weapon that he's given you. So four little practicalities, three that I'm just going to give you a headline and one I'm just going to unpack slightly. Firstly, I think as, as people who believe or declare that we believe in a big God, that's what we've been singing, we need to be praying big prayers. How big are your prayers? Are you praying for big things? Because if you're not, you don't believe in a God who wants to do big things for you and who is powerful enough to do big things for you. As a people who follow the living God, we should be praying big prayers that are impossible unless God does something. It's the way of honouring, you know, a big God, asking big things of him. If my kids only ever asked to borrow 5p of me, <laughs> I'd think something was really wrong. You know, they ask for ridiculous amounts of money. And they don't have a problem about whether I'm going to give it to them or whether I'm going to answer it or how I'm going to do it. They just ask. Mom, can we borrow 20 Can we have 20 pounds? Can we have 30 pounds? Whatever. You know, we're God's children. We should be asking big things. You know, when did you last dream in your prayer time? 
I want to encourage you, you know, at some point in this week to, to sit with God and, and ask yourself, if God was going to do anything for me, what would I ask him to do? And write down those big dreams. Don't be afraid of the disappointment if you start praying and he doesn't answer. Start and dream big. Pray big. Pray impossible prayers. Pray small prayers. Pray about anything and everything. That's what Paul says, doesn't he? Pray about anything. I'm continually surprised by, by, by those of us that struggle to ask for, for the things that we need, the things that we want. You know, when my daughter was nine, you know, she was meant to be um, a bridesmaid for my sister. And uh, my sister, in the end, didn't get married. Um, she pulled out of the wedding six weeks before she was due to get married. And I had this absolutely desperate daughter sobbing herself to sleep. Mommy, I want to be a bridesmaid. Please, can you help me to be a bridesmaid? And I'm sitting there thinking, no. You know, I don't anybody who's getting married, and I certainly wouldn't dream of asking them to ask you to be their bridesmaid. So it's, as a slight cop-out, but I did have some faith, I sat there and I said, darling, I can't do anything about that, but Jesus can. So you just ask him and you tell him that you want to be a bridesmaid and you pray about it. You know, well, that shut her up for a bit. (laughs) But bless her, she did. And three months later, out of the blue, some some young people in our church got married and they felt that that God was prompting them to ask my daughter to be a bridesmaid. It's the only time she's ever been a bridesmaid. And do you know, she was a bridesmaid that day because she prayed to her God a big impossible prayer that her mother couldn't do anything about. Now, some of us may have a problem with that because it's like, why would God care about that kind of thing? But do you know what? Jesus loves you. He loves you. God is your father. He wants to bless you as his daughter. But you need to be praying prayers like that to know that he loves you enough to do that kind of thing and fix that kind of thing for you. So, you know, pray big, pray impossible, but pray small prayers that matter to you, but you don't think matter to anybody else, because God cares about those as well. Pray big, pray bold. You know, we're invited, aren't we? Hebrews 4, to approach the throne of God with boldness. You know, Ephesians 3 says we approach his throne with confidence. How do you pray? Do you pray sheepishly? Do you pray apologetically? Do you pray really sort of quietly and mouse-like because you think God isn't really very interested in what you've got to say? Or do you pray boldly? Anybody with children knows that children don't have a problem making bold requests, do they? My children used to interrupt me when I was talking to someone else to ask for what they wanted. And they would ask for anything and everything relentlessly. They really didn't have an issue with what I was doing at the time or who I was talking to. That's how children behave. We're God's children. And Jesus says the kingdom belongs to children. We're not meant to be childish, but we're meant to have a childlike faith. And children are meant to and invited to pray boldly. Do you pray boldly before God? Because that's how he wants you to come before him and ask him with boldness and with confidence. Pray boldly. That's two. Number three. This is my sort of the thing I really want to be um, sort of unpacked slightly, which is about praying specifically. I've alluded to this. You need to know what you're praying for, what you're praying about. Can you identify 
what you're praying about. And uh, this is where I would encourage you, if you haven't done this already, to make a bit of time to sit down maybe with a notebook and identify the areas of your life, the people in your life that you want to see God do something in or for. You need to be able to name them and then you need to be able to identify what you want God to do. You know, those are the headlines. I want God to get my son a job. Or I want God to reveal more of the heart of Jesus to me. Or I want God to heal this person. Or I want God to mend my marriage. I want God to save my child. Or I want my child to walk into their destiny. You know, it could be anything. It'll be lots of things. But identify what it is that you want. I want him to light a fire in my heart because my love for him has gone cold. Write it down, the things that you want him to do for you, to do for those that you love, to do in the life of your church, to do wherever. So be specific about what you want God to do. The second thing you need to do when you've identified exactly what you're going to press in for and pray for is you need to identify the promises in God's word that go alongside your request. Because there is something powerful about praying with the promises of God in the other hand. Ephesians talks about the word of God being the sword of the spirit. And we're told to take up the sword and pray on all occasions. So your prayers will be more effective, more powerful, and your faith will rise as you're praying if you're holding a promise of God in your other hand. Which might mean you've got to do a little bit of homework. So, you know, one of the things that I'm praying is for one of my children in particular to be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so I found a promise in Isaiah where God says, I will pour out my spirit on your descendants. So that is written down alongside my prayer headline, I want you to fill this child with your Holy Spirit. Because when we stand in front of God with a promise of his in our hand, guess where we're putting our confidence? We're putting it in what God said. And that's when Faith rises. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 1 that says, All of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. But then it says, We have to give them the Amen. That means we have to do something with the promises. How many of you shop in Argos here? Anyone ever shopped in Argos? Most of us, good, excellent. <laughs> Don't know if you've got an Argos in Leamington Spa. But you know how you shop in Argos? So you go to the catalogue and you flick through the catalogue and you identify what you want to buy, don't you? And then you write down the catalogue number and you either go and pay in the machine or you pay the you know, person at the till. And then you take your little ticket that they give you with the catalogue number on and you go over to the you know, waiting area and then eventually somebody will call your number if you're lucky, they'll have a smile on their face. And they'll dump this sort of box or whatever it is that you've ordered uh, on the, um, you know, that little bench or platform or whatever. And you, you hand your ticket in and you take that, that product away. It's, it's a bit like that when we pray. The Bible is like a catalogue. And we don't have to pay for anything in there because Jesus has paid for it all. But the Bible is full of promises. 
And God invites us to take those promises out of there, out of the catalogue, as it were, and to go and present them at the desk, as it were, to him. Heaven is full of all of these gifts and, and, you know, blessings that God wants to pour into all of our lives, but they're received by faith. We have to ask for them. That's how God set it up. So you take your promise from the catalogue, as it were, and you take it to God. And you say, you've promised to pour out your spirit on my offspring. Or you've promised that if I seek first your kingdom, you'll supply my need for a job. Or you'll, you'll give to those who ask. You know, if I'm asking you for some money because I'm struggling here. And you present that promise to him. And he gives you and pours out and pours back the blessing. But you have to have the catalogue number. You have to have the promise. And the more you are able to kind of declare that promise and pray it to God, the more your faith will rise. You know, I hope you pray out loud, all of you, because there's power in the spoken word. You know, the word is powerful. Your tongue is powerful. A thought is not the same as a word. So you need your promise and you need to be praying your promise and praising your promise before God. And as you do, your faith will rise and those blessings will be released into your life. So be specific about what you're asking God for and then be specific about the promise that goes with it. And then I would encourage you, um, well, what I found helpful, let me just share what I found helpful, is that because I have, I, I'm pretty used, I'm, you know, I'm quite a scatty person, that's why I can never find my way here. I'm not particularly organised, I don't particularly love you know, routine and doing the same thing every day. So you know, I used to get up and when I pray, I would only pray what I was, was on my heart or what I could remember that morning. So my prayer life was quite sporadic, you know, depended on you know, all kinds of random things. And then this friend shared with me the way she prayed and it was so helpful I sort of decided to adopt it. And what I have done is I had my list of all the things that I decided I wanted to pray for, you know, for my, who I was going to pray for and what specifically I wanted to pray for them, what I wanted to see God do in their lives. And then I have divided my week up into obviously seven days. And I have chosen which things I'm going to pray for on each day. So I don't pray for everything every day, but... I pray for something or some people or some situations every day, but I'm praying for everything regularly because it gets covered at least once a week. So, for example, the most important things in my life that God has, has, you know, I want to see God move on, I might pray for different elements of those things each day. So there's variety, but I don't pray for everything each day, if that makes sense. So I might pray for, you know, the hearts of my children on one day. And I might pray for their calling or um, their effect- effectiveness in their university or their workplace or their school on another day. So I found it so helpful to be specific what I'm praying on each day. And then every time I find a promise in the Bible that relates to what I'm praying about, it goes on a post-it note and I slap it down on the day, you know, where I've got my headlines. And so I've got this organized um, sort of notebook to help me pray specifically with God's promises, presenting those vouchers at the desk. And I have seen God begin to move in response to my prayers in a way that I would say I haven't seen before. 
And it's because God has taught me, you know, I'm not there yet, but is teaching me to be strategic and specific about the way I pray. And every single one of you has that same weapon in your hands that I believe this evening he's wanting to encourage you to use. Last thing I want to say, we need to be willing to pray, not just specifically, but in a sustained way. You know, sometimes God answers prayers overnight. Sometimes he answers them a long way down the line. Sometimes he answers them in ways that we don't understand. And we will never understand the mechanisms and the machinations of prayer this side of the grave. We're not called to understand. We're called to trust. We're called to pray and we're called to trust. And we've got to leave the outworkings of it to him. But if we're willing to go the distance and pray in a sustained way, but specifically and strategically believing that this is the most powerful weapon of the spirit that we have, we will live increasingly effective and powerful lives in the fullness of the spirit and see God work in us and through us in ways that otherwise we might only dream of or imagine. So that's my encouragement to you this evening. I believe God wants you to really press in in your prayer life, wherever you are at, to really kind of commit again to wielding this weapon that he has given you for your sake, for your good, for the sake and the good of those you love and for the sake and the good of those around you. So in a moment, we're going to... um, pray about some other things but I'm just going to ask you to stand and we're just going to do something um, just to kind of I don't know 